0: We're in a series about grace. One word that would change your life. And it's this idea, this concept of grace. And it's more than just a word. It's this idea that grace is that God graces you with a spiritual gift. In other words, God gives you a gift that's unique from every other person, the way that you would do it, the way that you would exercise that gift. And then you go and live it out in the body of Christ. And then God uses you. God gives to us because we're sinners and we're separated from Him. And God, despite who we are, despite the difficulties and the challenges of life, He gives us what we don't deserve. And that's what we're looking at in this concept of grace. We are actually saved by God's grace. It's by God's grace you've been saved through faith that when I exercise faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I come into a unique relationship with Him. Grace so transforms our lives. It teaches us. You know that the grace of God teaches us how to live in the world. It teaches us about myself. It teaches about our world. It teaches about the way that we're to operate with our world. And as that grace teaches us, it helps us to interact with people in an entirely different way because our lives are transformed. We're different people because of what God's grace. Well, the Bible says that we're to grow in God's grace. That every week, every day, we have the opportunity to go and, and grow in God's grace. The book of Hebrews says that, that we can approach This throne of grace with confidence and freedom. You know, we talked about your goodness is running after me. That's that's what God does. He runs after us. Hebrews talks about God coming to us and giving us help, grace, and mercy in our time of need as we approach the throne of grace with boldness. This concept of grace is not just a word. It's the way that God chooses to transform our lives. By the way, do you realize that God's grace takes the brokenness of your life, it takes your past, it takes your mistakes, and God is fully able to transform that and to make it into something wonderful and pure and good? Do you realize in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about the, the, the incomparable riches of God's grace to us, that in the ages to come, we are going to be celebrating God's grace and all that He's done for us in redeeming us through Jesus Christ. And we're going to be singing about God's grace for ages and ages to come. It's not just a concept. It's not just a word. It's a way that God chooses to change our lives. And because God gives us grace, what He wants us to do is He wants to be people of grace. The way that I would live toward my spouse, the way I would live toward my family, maybe the way that I would live toward my coworkers or my neighbors or all those people that are really difficult in my life. God wants us to grow in grace and be different people. And what we saw this morning in the text that Terry read is that we can, we can actually forfeit God's grace. How, how horrible would that be for me to do something in my life? I, I don't ever want to forfeit God's grace. And so if you haven't turned in your Bible, I'm going to invite, invite you to turn your Bible to, to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Terry read the text. But, but I want to read it again because James is, is going to confront us. He's going to confront the church He's going to confront the people about becoming too friendly or too cozy with the world and its system and its values. And we are called to live, to come out of the world, to live in a way that's different. And God's word challenges us to not become too cozy with the so, so hear the word of the Lord. Terry read it, but let me just read it again. James chapter 4 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within? Do you ever have any desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet. You cannot have what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask, and when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend it on what you get on your pleasures. Verse 4, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he has caused to live in us and these intensely. But he gives us more grace. That's what I want you to remember this point. God gives us more grace. W- what are the circumstances of your life? What are the difficulties of your life? What are the challenges? Of, what, what are the barriers of your life? What are the hardships of your life right now? The Bible says God gives us more grace. Even in the, the challenges from this passage, a lack of want, a lack of desire, he gives us more grace. And that's why scripture said God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a humble person when it comes to receiving God's grace. Father, I, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the great privilege we have this morning. God, what, what a privilege to be able to sing or praises to you. But I want to build my life. We want to build our lives on the word of God. We want to build our lives on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Father, we live in a nasty world. We live in a difficult world. We live in a challenging world. Father, we live in a world where they're they're trying to conform us into the image of something else and to rob us from becoming all that, that you and Jesus would have for our lives. So, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to the wonder and the beauty of your word, that you would speak to us this morning through the Spirit of God who lives within us, Lord. Father, I thank you for the great privilege of camp and mission trips and ministry and service. Well, thank you that you call us and you invite us to be involved in the lives of others. And now we simply come before you humbly and ask that you would speak to us through your word. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So so when you read this, you, you realize that James has some really, really strong words about becoming too cozy with the uh, ungodly values that we might see and experience around us. And and so what I want to do this morning is I just want to answer a couple of questions. I want to answer three questions. The first question is, what what is friendship in the world? What does that look like? That seems to be a main theme, because he mentions it twice in verse 4. So it seems to be a major theme. Uh, What does that look like? You know, what, what would friendship in the world look like? It seems to me friendship in the world takes us to a really, really difficult place, if you will. And then the last thing I want to look at us. What's the cure? Is there a cure in here? And Verses 5 and 6 seem to have a remedy or a cure to how we can live uh, make the most of God's grace. So that's what I want to do. So what is friendship with the world? What would that look like? What might that entail? Now, I, I want you to think about this. I, I want you to think about the context. James is writing most likely to Jewish believers. They've been scattered, The 12 tribes. They've been scattered all over the place, most likely Jewish believers who are steeped in the Old Testament. And, and he's writing to them a letter. And, and what he does is he, he wants to encourage them and he wants to help them. And we know that James is, is he's a leader in the church. He's like a half-brother of Jesus. I mean, if you're going to receive a letter from somebody up there in the world, yeah, he's pretty high up there. I mean, could you imagine when Billy Graham was alive, Billy Graham writing a letter to Hope Church? I'd like to read a letter for you from Billy Graham this morning. I mean, you'd be like, whoa, Greg Laurie? I mean, all the big names out there. I mean, would you want to be commended by one of those guys? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And that's what he does. He starts off commending them. You've gone through trials. You've gone through tribulations. You're persevering. You're being doers of the word. You're living your life out through faith. You're doers of the word. You're faithful people. And then all of a sudden he gets to verse four. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship of the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Ouch! Do you want to be called an adulterer? I don't. We know what that means. We know what adultery is. In 1983, my wife and I stood before the Lord. We stood before our family and friends. And we pledged our love toward each other. We pledged that we would be faithful to each other and to each other only. And we took that vow before a pastor, We took a vow before other people, family members. And God forbid that I would ever go out and commit adultery with another woman. Do you know how devastating that would be? Devastating to my wife, to my children, to my grandchildren? To commit adultery would devastate my life. And what James is saying, listen, you can do something similar when you commit spiritual adultery he's not not talking about physical adultery he's talking about spiritual adultery it's it's when you give you uh, listen I can commit spiritual adultery I don't have to necessarily commit physical adultery if I give my heart if if I give my attention if I give my love my devotion to another woman and my wife doesn't I've committed spiritual adultery in my heart and that's horrible Jesus, when he spoke, he often spoke about issues of the heart. When you lust after another woman, you've created adultery. You've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus always spoke to the hearts, if you will. And what I believe that, that James is doing, he's taking them back to the Old Testament. And if you go back and look at the nation of Israel, what did they consistently do? What did the nation of Israel consistently do? They went after other gods. People went after other gods. Solomon. Solomon, the wisest man ever to live, lost his heart by going after the other gods from the woman that he married. And the people in the Old Testament committed spiritual adultery with their creator. The book of Isaiah says this. Listen to the words. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the people. And listen to how God describes him. Isaiah describes him. For your maker is your husband. God Formed the nation of Israel and created them. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. What an incredibly wonderful description of the nature and the character of God and what he had done for the nation, the people of Israel. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only be only to be rejected, says the Lord. The relationship between God and the nation of Israel was likened to a marriage relation. God was the husband, and they were betrothed to this wonderful God who had redeemed them and changed them and done so much for them. And now, because of the rebellion in their heart, because they're longing after other gods, they're not getting what they want. Their God is not doing exactly what they want. They committed spiritual adultery in their hearts, and they walked away, and they did this over and over and over, and yet God continue to pursue them. If you will change, if you'll just come after me, I will love you, I will care for you, and I, and I will take care of you. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 20 says this, but like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. Over and over the people rejected God, and when they rejected him, when they rejected his ways, and they turned their hearts from him, they committed spiritual adultery and it plunged them downward, and God would discipline them over and over again. That's a picture of God's love for his people, and that he loves us, he cares for us, and he wants us to be absolutely in love with him and who he is and what he's done for us and to have no other gods before us. And and so what I think what James does in verse four is he kind of expands on this concept, this idea of what it means to commit spiritual adultery. Look at verse four again. It says this, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Listen, we all live in the world. I get it. We all live in the world. We have jobs. We go to school. We have all of these things that we do inside the world. But what he's talking about here, when he talks about this idea of friendship, he's talking about an association. He's talking about a close relationship, a close relationship in such that what we do is we allow our affections to be changed. We allow God's word to be changed. We allow ourselves to go in places that are absolutely diametrically opposed to who God is and what he would have for our lives. The Bible says it's bad company it corrupts good morals. So when I align myself with someone who might not be faith-based, The challenge for me is what's going to happen in my life. Am I going to change them or are they going to change me? And the world has a value system. The world's value system doesn't take into account God is our creator. Jesus is our redeemer. It has all of these good things to offer, but they're not necessarily in line with scripture. Abortion rights. Abortion rights leaves out the idea that you, that every person values, and we have been created by a loving God, Psalm 139. It leaves out the fact that God is the one who forms us in the womb. And then you and I live in that culture, and we continue to fight that battle day in and day out because what we want to do is we want to stand up for the values of God's words. We want to stand on the truth of God's words. And that causes us to butt heads with people. The Bible says friendship with the world is enmity toward God. What about the sexual immorality that that we see rampant going on? I mean, it is, our culture is steeped in immorality. It's steeped in people living simply for themselves. And there are no bounds in morality anymore. And our children are growing up into it. And our young people are going to colleges. And it's all around us. And if we're not careful, what we can do is we can become associated, We can become friends with the values of the world and not hang on to what God would have for us. And we can become people who commit spiritual adultery in our hearts because we replace the primary place that God has in our lives, in our hearts, with something else. And it turns us against all that he would have for us and we end up committing spiritual Adultery. Let me ask you, what what, what has a hold of your heart? Is it a person? Man, I love my wife. I love my wife. Is she to be the number one in my life? Or is my relationship with Jesus to be the number one in my life? And when I put Jesus and keep him as the number one in my life, my relationship with my spouse and my children and my relationship with my friends and family, all of those other relationships are going to find themselves when I keep Jesus at the core of who? I need to be and who I want to be. Let me ask you, what has a hold of your life? Is it Christ and who he is and what he's done for us? Because I know what we don't want to do is we don't want to cozy up to the world and its values and its world system so that it changes and transforms us and woos us away from all that God would have for us. The second question is this. What does friendship with the world look like? It seems to me from the text that it produces Tension, that when we get sidetracked and we begin to move away from God's word and away from fellowship and away from who, who Jesus is, what it does, it's easy for us to get sidetracked and it invites tension in relationship. Look at verse one through three. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You don't have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend it when you get. Uh, you may that you may spend it on your pleasures. But listen, isn't it really hard to read these words and think? Is he really talking about a church? Seriously, fights, quarrels, kill, covet, man. It's pretty brutal, isn't it? Don't you think? I thought it was when I read it. You know, Connor's talking about the songs that we sing. You know, I mean, it's, it's interesting. He was able to go to one way on the songs. I, now, now I've got to come back and look at the ugly stuff. Adulterers, people who kill, covet, robbers. Welcome to Hope Church. We're glad that you're here. <laughs> be warm, be filled, and have a good day. We'll talk about money next week. Join us. It's frightening of the human heart. I, I really, truly believe it's frightening that we can examine the human heart and see what's going on on the inside and, and how it can change us. And I think what's happening is when, when, when we commit spiritual adultery, it creates division, it creates tension in life, and it creates tension, not just in the church, but in families. It, it, it creates tension in, in a marriage relationship. It, it creates tension in a family relationship, a working relationship. And, and what what God wants to do is God wants to give us grace. He wants to give us mercy. And so when you look at this, look at what's happening here. Look at what the, this selfishness is producing. It, it produces demanding people. Verses 1 and 2, it says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. Listen, the lust of the heart can become so strong that we become demanding in our way. We want our desires. We have our wants. We have our needs. And all of a sudden, what's going on inside of our heart begins to spill over, and it spills over in the context of relationships we have. We become so absorbed, so self-focused so, so on ourselves, and we begin to think that it's all about me. And it's not all about me. There's a man um, by the name of George MacDonald, and he wrote over a hundred years ago, and I believe this is a sermon, and it's called Kingship, and, and I thought it seems to be very appropriate where we would find ourselves in our culture today, and let me just read what he said. He says, for the principle of hell is, I am my own. I am my own king, and am my own subject, I am the center from which go out my thoughts, I am the object and the end of my thoughts. Back upon me as the Alpha and the Omega of life, my thoughts return, my own glory, and ought to be my chief care, my ambition, to gather the regards of men to the one center myself. My pleasure is my pleasure. My kingdom is, as many as I can bring to acknowledge, my greatness over them. That... Seems to be what's going on in the prevailing culture. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what's going on. You are the absolute center of the world. And you should do everything you can to make yourself happy. Ignore that relationship and the bustedness of that relationship if it's not making you happy. Go pursue something else. Go pursue something else that will bring pleasure. That's what the text is talking about. That will absolutely bring pleasure in your life. And you know what God says? Jesus says to us, don't merely look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us in his death on the cross, I have a responsibility to God and to who he is and what he would want from my life. Incredibly powerful verses in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Notice what it says. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? If you are a believer and trusting in the life, death, burial, and resurrection, you are absolutely different because the Spirit of God lives inside of you and you are not by yourself. Notice what he says. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We have been bought with a price. The price was the the death of Jesus on the cross. And because of what Christ has done, I am now God's child. And what I do with my body, what I do with my heart, what I do with my mind matters to God. And what we want to do is we want to live in such a way that we are actually bringing glory and honor to God's kingdom into the person of Jesus Christ. So what happens is we don't become so demanding. We realize that my life has been changed and what I need to do is I actually need to give my life away, not demand everything of it. Because when you demand things of your life, it creates tension, it creates quarrels. There's a second part of this. There's a divisiveness, if you will, that comes from abandoning the, the worldview that God would give us. Look at verse one and two again. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Verse two talks about you quarrel and fight. We read this and go, this is crazy. This can't happen in a church. Think of the, the church at Corinth. They were divided from the very beginning. They're divided. When, when Paul was writing to the people at Philippi, he even calls out two people by name because there was some tension in the church. He uses them and he calls them out by name. Let me ask you this. Did you see any tension, quarrels with regard to the COVID-19 virus? Yeah, we did. There were the maskers and the unmaskers. And then there was this, and then there was this. Churches split over the response to the COVID-19. Churches split. I remember one of our leaders came in and said there was a church up north that had split over this very issue because of it. We divide over political parties. We divide over the color of the carpet, doctrine, what you wear in church. You know, good Christians don't wear that in church. I had a friend of mine come up to me one time. He says, you know, um, I intentionally wore jeans to church one day. I'm like, why? He said, because I wanted to see if people would treat me differently. And we do that. That's what James talks about. James chapter two, you look at people and you treat people differently in the church. And we divide in all kinds of ways. And when, when, what happens is when things don't necessarily go our way, we put a stake in the ground and we begin to look at people as very, very different. And I think what we have to be careful of is where we choose to uh, draw our line in the sand and how we respond to other people so that we don't fight and quarrel. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are important in the church. And we need to hang on to those things. But maybe there's a way that we can do that so that we don't become so divisive where we're killing and coveting our own plans, if you will. You can be very demanding if you run away from the principles and the worldview that God gives us. You can become very uh, divisive at times. We can be, become very divisive. And, and the last thing I've seen here is we can become deceptive. Look at verse 3, 2 and 3. You do not have because you don't ask. Why didn't they have? Because they didn't ask. I think maybe they didn't ask because they knew it was wrong to ask in the first place. The whole text is centered around their desires, pleasures. You know what the word pleasures in this verse, you know what it means? It has the idea of, of being a hedon, hedonism. We get the word hedonism from that. Pleasures, where, where your life is so consumed about yourself, it's only about you and about your pleasure. So they probably knew and they weren't going to ask God anyway. And then when they did get around to asking God, verse 3 says this, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Why don't they approach the throne of grace with confidence and boldness? Because their motives are all wacky. And all that they want to do and what we want to do is to spend them on our own pleasures, our own self. And it's very easy for us to do that, to get our minds focused on maybe the things of the world, the things going on around us. We become convoluted in our thoughts, thinking that we really need this or we need this relationship or we need this or we're going to compromise God's word in this way. And we shouldn't be people that do that. We can deceive ourselves. The idea of spend here, it says that you may spend it on your place. It actually has the idea of you spend it on something that's not going to last. You spend it on something that's not going to last. So I go to um, the the snow cone shop. I like snow cones. And, And I buy a snow cone. And the snow cone lasts like 15 minutes because it melts. That's what he's talking about. You, you spend your life on things that are not really going to last. What he wants us to do is be investing in things that are going to last. Friendship with the world creates tension in our life. It creates tension in our relationship with God. It creates tension with other people. And what we need to do is we need to be mindful of that. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Some of you have probably already thought about this verse and you're right on. Notice what it says, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. We have to be mindful that there is a tension in life. We are to be in the world, but we are not to be of the world. We're not to be consumed by the world and its values. Th- let me ask you, are, are you surrounded by people who are lifting you up in, in where you're at in life, maybe encouraging you and building you up? And maybe, you're a, maybe you're going through a struggle that nobody else knows about. You know, are you surrounding yourself with people who can speak truth into your life and encourage you and to, to help you come alongside of you? you know, that's, what, that's what God wants. Remember, God wants to give us Grace. That's what the text says. It talks about a a greater grace. It says, uh, somewhere in there, but he gives us more grace. That's what he wants. He wants to give us more grace. Listen, you can't outgrace God. There's no way you can. You can't outgrace God. God wants to give us grace, no matter what we're going through. Difficulties and challenges of life. Will I submit my life to him? Will I give myself to him? So what we don't want to do is we don't want to become too friendly with the world and its value system. Um, When we do that, we can become demanding, divisive, and deceptive. But but James has a a cure, and it's a great cure, and this is the application. How do we respond when we find ourselves in this tension? How do we live in the tension of the world? I think we have a cure here. Three points of application. Number one, look at verse 5. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? First of all, I believe what he's talking about there is that God absolutely loves you. Um, there is no specific scripture when he says, or do you think the scripture? There's no specific scripture that references this thought here. And and for those of you that maybe have an NIV Bible, if you look at the bottom of your Bible, it has a footnote and it says something to this. It reads that the spirit he caused to live us longs jealousy. So what happened is when the interpreters came to this verse that there's one way of looking at it and there's another way of looking at it. I think the NIV has it right when it says this, that the scripture he caused to live in us longs jealousy. And the reason I think that that's correct, because it's in the context, if you will, of spiritual adultery, jealousy, spiritual adultery. Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. Notice what what Moses reminded the people just hear this do not worship any other god for the lord your god whose name is jealous is a jealous god god wants our hearts not sunday between 10:30 and 12 and not wednesday and not between 9 and 12 that's why the song i will build my life Is so relevant to us. I want to build my life on the truths of who God is and what He's had for us. And I want to live and I want to long for who He is and what He would have for us. And our God wants our hearts to be absolutely fully devoted to Him and to not allow all of those other things that would come into our mind and hearts and cause distraction and woo us away from the beauty and wonder of God's grace to us. You know, think about the marriage relationship. You know what the marriage relationship actually pictures? Christ in the church. The marriage relationship pictures Christ in the church. And from the very institution in Genesis chapter three, I think it is, from the very institution of the marriage, it was pointing to the time when Jesus would come, and it would be a beautiful picture of Christ in his church. And that's how much God loves us and He cares for us. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that we... Align ourselves with who He is and what He's done for us. God loves you is the first part. The the, the song, Take My Life, let let me just quote the words again. Uh, It says this, "Um, Take my voice, let me sing, always only for my King. Take my lips, let them be filled with messages from Thee. Filled with messages from Thee. Jesus came and he brought me out of the kingdom of darkness and he placed me into the kingdom of the sun and now I am absolutely different. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. I owe my life to this man, this Jesus who's rescued me and left and went and offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross for my sin. Number one, God loves you. That's the cure. Number two, live with humility. Look at verse six. But he gives us more grace. And that is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me ask you, what do we fight against? Don't we fight against the world? Don't we fight against pride? I mean, don't we fight against all the things that we really want in life? Maybe it's a relationship and marriage or whatever. Don't we fight against those things? We elevate ourselves spiritually. And so maybe I respond to a person differently in spiritual pride and not in spiritual humility. And maybe I look at myself a little bit more as being more important than somebody else and, and, and not looking at myself with humility. And, and the way that I live and the way that I act and the way that I do certain things come from a concept of being maybe spiritually prideful as opposed to being spiritually humble, looking at people who need God's grace and mercy in an entirely different way. I'm going to hang on to my, my point of view on this because I know that I'm right. Could be one way that we could do that. What God wants us to do is he wants to give us greater grace. And no matter what we're doing, no matter what we're going through, he wants to do that. So, so what is the cure? Number one, God loves you. And he, and he wants that intimate, close relationship with you. God wants us to live with humility. And, and the final thing is, is this. Look at verse 6. And God will give you grace but he gives us more grace, more grace. Wow. I mean, can you, you ever have those moments of reflection in your life where you look back and, and you look at all the different ways that your life could have been radically different? I rolled a van in Ogallala, Nebraska before I was a Christian. My life could have been radically different because of that. And I can look back to time after time, event after event, or my life would have been radically different, and I'm sure it's no different than you. You can look back and see traces of God's goodness and God's grace in your life. And what God wants to do is he wants to continue to give us more grace as we we humbly submit to him and yield to him. God doesn't want us to be people who are proud. It's having a, a, a correct assessment of who I am and, and who God is and how God has created me and all the wonderful things that he's done in my life and how actually what I want to do is I don't want to be demanding. I don't want to be divisive. I don't want to be deceptive. I, I want to simply reach out and serve other people because of who is and what he's done for us. And God can do that. He can give you the grace to do that. Now, I can't do that on my own strength. We can't do these things on our own strength. But God can. God's grace transforms us. And cause us to be different kinds of people. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome to think that we can sing these wonderful songs this morning and reflect on God's word and God changes us and we can leave here today and be an entirely different person because of God's spirit. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you that we can sing of the goodness of God. God, you have been good to us and we thank you for that. Father, I pray that there's somebody, anyone here to, this morning who has not responded to the grace of, of Jesus. Well, they would simply reach out and say, Lord, I, I, I need the Spirit of God in my life. I, I, I recognize that I'm in need of you. And Father, would you just come into my life and, and, and change me, transform make me the kind of person that you would have us to be. And Father, I pray that we would just be people who would live according to your grace. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.